Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the MDDDS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and tonight we are honored to have Dr. Grant Dasher and his wife, Jessica Dasher, with us. Grant is a dentist and he has spoken on the topic he's going to teach on tonight before, and this topic is biblical manhood. So the last two weeks we've talked about the image of God, and this comes from, in part, Genesis 1, verse 27, where it says that we were created in the image of God, and then the next part of that is that God created man and he created woman, okay? And then we learn about Adam and Eve and so on and so forth. But at the very beginning there, when God created humans, he created them in his image. We've talked about that. Then he also created them in gender, okay, as male and as female. This is a very relevant topic in our culture today. What that means, is gender fluid? Is there a continuum? Is it just binary? And I think that God has a lot to say on this topic. Certainly even Christianity has something to say, uh, at least popular Christianity about manhood and womanhood that may also be untrue. And so we want to look at the Bible, what it says, and what the pattern is that God has laid out. We also want to look what it looks like when men don't you know, follow the pattern that God has set out. And certainly there are uh, echoes of that and ripple effects of that in our culture. So I look forward to what Grant has to say on this. He always does an excellent job. And so here is Biblical Manhood with Grant Dasher and Jessica Dasher. Okay, so um, we uh, we prepared this lesson and then I added a bunch and I was typing it on a non-Microsoft Word, like Word, you know, software, and I didn't know how many pages I had. So just I'm gonna I'm gonna speak really fast, and Jessica's gonna speak really slow. So that's how we're gonna balance this out. That's what I told her. So uh, are you ready, Jessica, ready. to speak very slowly? Do you have anyth- Do you have anything to say? Do you have anything to say before we get started? No. Take it away. Okay. All right. Opening statement. All right. This is it. Western men as a whole are in a state of confusion, disappointment, and loneliness. Wait, hold on. Okay, go ahead. So I know there was an email, but if you didn't read the email, they might not know what we're talking about. Do they? Oh, yeah. Oh, we're talking about manhood tonight. Yeah, and then next week we'll talk about womanhood. So last week you guys talked about the image of God, right? So we're gonna, I'm gonna hit a little bit on that too. So so some of this may be redundant uh, because I'll hit on the image of God as well. Um, but, uh, and again, I do want to preface what I say tonight with this is that I think when you, anytime you talk about manhood and womanhood, man, there are a million different, um, ideas, obviously of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And, and certainly in America. And like, sometimes this, this discussion is, is offensive to some people and it, it's appalling to others. Or, or maybe maybe to some people it's far too liberal or far too progressive or maybe too conservative. I, I don't know. Like all I'll say is I try, I will try to teach this as humbly as I possibly can and teach it in a way that represents how I, how I read the Bible as best I can. So, uh, and we'll discuss it at the end. And, Mine has the title. That's right. Reflect biblical manhood. That's right. So, with that being said, let's get started. So, opening statement: Western men confusion, disappointment, and loneliness. And the result is that we're increasingly depressed. Is that right, physicians? Yeah, increasingly depressed. We're increasingly medicated. Is that correct as well? Yeah. And we are increasingly detached from our responsibilities. And it doesn't take a doctor to figure that one out. And I think by and large, maybe more now, certainly than in recent history, and maybe, at any, maybe more than at any other point in history, 
We don't know who we are as men. So just listen to these statistics. 90% of all murders are committed by men, 88% of robberies, 75% of all people arrested. Men make up only 40% of recent university graduates. Boys drop out of high school at nearly double the rate of girls. Fatherlessness homes have risen, and this is huge. Fatherlessness homes have risen from 8% in 1960 to over one in four today. Children uh, living without a father in the home display higher rates of running away, school dropout, incarceration, substance abuse, and suicide. Boys are three times more likely than girls to be diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. And gender is the single biggest predictor, best predictor of criminal behavior. So it's why when you see that there's been a shooting, the first question you ask is, I wonder who he was, right? That's the first thing. You, you, don't, you don't think, I wonder who she was that did that. You think, I wonder who he was. And when you hear that it's a woman, which is rare, you're, you're surprised, right? So psychology today says boys and young men are less likely to graduate from university or launch successfully into employment and independent living. Contrary-wise, which that's, I didn't know that was a word, but it is. Contrary-wise, they are more likely to drop out of high school and be diagnosed with stigmatizing mental disorder, disorders such as ADHD and medicated accordingly. So I say all that to say it's disturbing. Like the trend is, is disturbing. And there doesn't seem to be a reversal on the horizon. So there's, there's genuine confusion about what it means to be a man, and there's no shortage of people claiming to have the answers. So in an effort to appeal to man's desire to understand who he is, marketers and entertainers have kind of taken up this position of selling manhood, right? So you've got like Axe Body Spray, you know, you spray it on you and then women just like flock to you, right? Like that, and that's what it, that what it, mean, that's what it means to be a man. It means, you know, if you have multiple women, multiple sexual partners, like that is, you are the man. Like if you conquer, the more women you conquer, the more women you have sex with, the, the more of a man you are. So Axe Body Spray says, okay, we're gonna take that and we're gonna use it for our benefit. Um, Ford truck man, I'm a masculine, big truck driving man. That's what it means to be a man. I gotta drive a big truck with big tires and I gotta hunt. I was talking about to Jessica last night about Cohen hunting and she was like, I don't want Cohen to be like that, like camo wearing i'm like that's Jessica. that's like it's okay yeah he, he can be that you know it's okay i just don't want that to define his masculinity right i don't want my son to define to define his masculinity in the size of his tires on his truck that's that's ludicrous right um simpsons married with children modern family parks and rec like filled with like just complete doofuses like men that are just like hands down their pants like give me a beer just total morons um, any any others any others in, in like pop culture or media or marketing? Moron, yeah, another complete moron. Typical American dad, right? Any others? Any other marketing ones? Like I know there's Axe. I like the Bear Grylls multi tool. Like I was watching that. It's like it just makes you like you're a man if you buy this tool. You know. Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty. <laughs> it's a little close to home, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> Of the beard, right? Um, I like those guys. Though. Yeah, no, they're good guys. Yeah, but they are front and back. I was gonna get lost really quick there. I was gonna be bad. 
Kyle, they could have been cheap. Kyle's being cheap and he's trying to save well, paper. It was eight pages ah, just come on, whatever, man. We're, uh, look, shh, we're getting sidetracked. We're getting sidetracked. We're getting sidetracked. Um, so, so like, what we're told, this is what it means to, to this is what it looks like to be a man. You're you're aloof. You're disconnected. You're unmotivated. <clears throat> driven by sex. You're abusive. You're obsessed with gadgets and things. You're consumed with work. You're a doofus with your hands down your pants. You're a knuckle dragger. Like all of those things, right? And some of those things can be true about us, right? And some of those things are, are like unfair characterizations and those are things that are reinforced in media and they're reinforced in, in pop culture. So marketers are selling trucks, they're selling sex and whatever else as manhood. Like these things are manhood. Entertainers are making manhood a joke. And on college campuses and beyond, gender has even become fluid. So there's a, there's a, a lot of confusion around what it means to be a man. And I think what, what most of us want is, is clarity. Like, I just want to know, like, as a man, is there anything unique about me being a man? And if so, what, what is, what is it, what, what's unique about that? So I can listen to the millions of voices telling me what it means to be a man, but there, if there isn't one voice, and this is, uh, this is the moral argument, right? If there, isn't, if there isn't one voice that matters above all of the other voices, then manhood is just some arbitrary cultural norm that we can either ascribe to or or not. Like it doesn't really matter. Like you can like be like, that's a cultural norm. This is what everybody's saying. Well, I can do it or I can not do it. And it doesn't really matter. It's not going to change anything uh, long term. So if God's not real and he has not communicated to us what it means to be a man, then we might as well just reach into a hat and, and just pull out a definition of manhood. It is just totally random if God's not, not real. But there is a voice that matters above all others, and this voice hasn't been silent on what it means to be a man um, or what it means to be a human, and, um, and specifically a man. So Genesis 1.27 says that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So y'all would have discussed this last week. So now we're gonna come back to this because I think this is really important. But remember Genesis 1:27. Remember that from last week and this week. Men and women were created to be a reflection of the triune God. And, and emphasis on the word triune. So God made humans to be like him. So looking at nothing else, like if we decided not to get into anything else, men are at least at the very mo and it's mo and their most basic level, they're designed to look like, act like, and think like God, which is, which is what you guys would have discussed last week. But men are in crisis, depression, anxiety, increasing suicide, violence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And here's one voice above all others saying, I didn't make you to be like that. I made you to be like me. So understanding what it means to be a man, I believe, first means understanding what it be, means to be human. And being human means being like God. So think about the implications of that. If we were made to be like God, what does that say about our value? I'm sure, who taught last week? David, I'm sure you talked about this. but. Is the bear at the uh, the polar bear at the zoo? Is he worth more than the boy with Down syndrome at your church? No, right? Like we love the polar bear, but we value the little boy. 
And we don't value him because he's a star athlete, because he got a 36 on the ACT, but simply for the, the one singular fact that he is a human being made in God's image. That's it. So we love the polar bear. He brings a lot of revenue for the city of Memphis. He does a lot for our city, right? The, down, the boy with Down syndrome, like, you know, he, he, he's not out, you know, creating the next supercomputer. Like, he's not doing those things, but we value him more than we value that polar bear. There's something special about being human. So human beings have an elevated value regardless of what they do or what they bring to the table. So understanding what it means to be a man means first understanding what it means to be human, which is why you guys discussed that last week. The blank was clarity. You didn't catch it. Oh, I should be going through these. Sorry. So I had a print off for you. I don't know where it is. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm never going to I'm never going to operate according to no, I will have with her film. Sorry, Kyle. Okay. Okay, so when there's not confusion um, and when men fill the role that God specifically designed for them to fill, well, then the result is good. Um, families stay intact. Marriages are healthy. Children are loved and feel secure. They're nourished. Um, they're educated. They um, are provided for. The innocent are, are defended. Um, but on the flip side, when there is all that confusion and when men fail to step into that role that was specifically designed for them, well, then what do we see? We see chaos and, and breakdown across the board. Um, families are torn apart. Marriages um, are filled with infidelity and adultery. Children are neglected. They aren't provided for. They aren't nourished. They aren't um, educated. Uh, the innocent are taken advantage of. So this this confusion and this failure um, to fill that role, it's not a new problem. And that this has been going on since the beginning. We can go all the way back to the beginning, and we can go to Genesis, and we can see find an example right off the bat. Um, okay, so we are going to read Genesis two, eight through nine. I remember you guys have it all now. So. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees <clears throat> grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So, <laughs> I can't not stop and talk about the word helper for a minute. Um, because the young, cynical, uh, independent, loudmouth <laughs> Jessica uh, would have at this point been like, Ugh, here we go. 
This is another, another lesson where I get to sit and listen how I need to submit and um, grant. And my future husband is in charge of me and I need to do what he says. And it's my job to submit to him because he is more important than I am, um, which is so flawed. And I don't, one way or another, that's what I was taught growing up. I don't know if those exact words were said, but that's what was implied and that is what I gathered from my upbringing. Um, and so I, I didn't know that my value was equal um, as my future spouse or even early in our marriage. Um, I really don't think I knew that we were equal in value. Um, and that's really sad because I, I, because of that, I spent a lot of time feeling uh, very defensive and um, resentful when you said words like submit and when you said helper. It's like you could just pat me on my head. Like that's how that feels. Um, and so now I know that we are equal in value. Um, Grant is just as loved and valued by God as I am. And I know that because we were both created in his image. Uh, and so that completely changes how I, I see our partnership and our marriage. Um, and just the word help, you know, if you need help, well, what is that saying? If I need help with something, what does that mean? Anyone? Can't do it I can't do it myself, yeah. And God knew that about Adam. He knew that Adam needed a helper. He needed a teammate and a partner. Um, and then later on in the New Testament, helper, Jesus is talking. He says, I, I've got to go, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And, and what does he call the Holy Spirit? The helper. And so if Eve and women were described with the same word as the Holy Spirit, I'm not quite sure how you can feel resentment at that point. So anyway, that's a side note. So if you are like me now or were, and you see that word, especially as a woman, and it's just like, ugh, it kind of makes you cringe. Um, I don't feel that way anymore. So, moving on. Uh, Adam was with Eve in the garden. He's been charged with working and taking care of the garden, and Eve is supposed to be his helper in the same way that the Holy Spirit is a helper. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're both naked, and verse 25 says that they felt no shame. This is, this is so beautiful. This is what it was supposed to be like. No sickness, no sadness, no loss, no pain. Um, everything was operating the way that God meant for it to operate. And then immediately, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And of course, Eve believes this lie. She listens to Satan and she eats the fruit that God said don't eat. Ultimately, she wanted to be autonomous. And then she gives some to Adam, who is just there with her. So right here, you can see an, the first example of um, a man not stepping into the role that was specifically designed for him. Because while Eve sinned, Adam was just there. Um, anyway. So when men don't operate according to God's design, as we said before, chaos ensues. And that's what happens. Starting um, with Adam and Eve right there, they suddenly knew they were naked. They felt shame. They're kicked out of the garden. 
They later have children, and what happens there? One murders the other, and so it takes off from there. And this chaos, it, it continues today, and it has implications today. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my mom and dad were, uh, I had both parents. Uh, my dad was a preacher. He also was um, a successful businessman, so we, we were taken care of. We had money. Um, we were really super involved uh, with church. My parents were really hospitable, so we always had people in our home. Um, even I can think of multiple occasions where people lived with us for prolonged periods of time because their, their homes were a wreck and they came to our house. And so everything looked really good, um, as it should. But, um, but it wasn't. My, uh, my dad did not um, fill the role that God specifically designed for him. Um, and he fell really short in most of the areas. Um, and so I've got tons of examples I could tell you about, but there is one example that Grant and I talked about. And um, I was 16. <clears throat> new driver so I was um, early uh, driver and we had a house in Colorado and um, we were gonna put it on the market and sell it and so my dad and I were gonna go and just kind of make sure everything was in order um, to put it on the market so we make this like 20 something hour drive uh, and I've just gotten my license and we're in a truck so like it's like my dad and me you know it's like no one's like in the back just us and he he sleeps like all like the whole drive i mean obviously he had to drive some but i vividly remember driving most of the drive and i i even got pulled over and uh, we were in a <coughs> construction zone so it was double fine <laughs> and my dad like wakes up and he's like oh, oh and he's like oh man yeah sorry babe and I remember being so mad, like, like I'm driving in the mountains on these windy roads and he's just over there sleeping. And so anyway, we get there and the pipes are frozen um, at the house. And so we have to stay in a hotel. I think it was like four or five days. And I vividly remember a dark hotel room, um, like the lights were off all the time. And he truly stayed in bed and he watched TV and he slept for like five days straight. And so at the time I didn't know, now I know he was high taking pills. Um, we had dealt with uh, addiction already. He had been through rehab and, um, but at that time I, I didn't know. And I mean, I just, I was just a little girl, you know? And so I would have to drive, it was like 20 minutes to get to town. Um, and so I would just go into town every day and truly on like windy, it was really beautiful. <laughs> I'd like to do it again, but I would just go into town and like just kind of shop around and I would come back and he was in the same spot. And so while this could have been this like once in a lifetime, like bonding time with, with your daughter that most people never get that opportunity, um, just like the intimate conversations we could have had, uh, you know, it was, it was just wasted. and. Um, Anyway, so that is just uh, one example of, of my dad completely falling short 
Um, but of course that snowballed into other things and um, he ended up leaving my mom after 29 years and um, obviously for a long time wasn't in ministry. And so for my entire family, this changed everything. For my brothers, it sent them off on, on very different paths. And for my mom and for me, I'm like heading into college. Um, a week into my freshman year, they officially, <clears throat> he left my mom. And so all of, all of these areas where, I mean, truthfully, he just dropped the ball, you know, as far as is stepping into that role, um, that changed the next decade of, of my life. Um, and so I, I didn't feel valued by my earthly father. Therefore, I didn't know, I did not know my, my value as a heavenly daughter. And so I went into college looking for approval um, and validation. And I mean, you know the story in all the wrong places. Um, you know, I, I shared my body in ways that I wish I wouldn't have. I put things into my body that I wish I wouldn't have. Um, even on into our marriage and it, all the way until today, like these things, they, they trickle on. And so my dad did not step into that role um, and it had major consequences. So, so I, I think that's a, the story for uh, like a, a ton of women. Oh, let me see that. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, you should, man. Get a splitter. Get a splitter. Yeah. So um, I, I do. I think that's just a, that's a common story. That's not an, that's not an uncommon Like, sadly, that's not an uncommon story. That, that is, um, in some form or fashion, I, I think most girls experience that story. Maybe not the drugs. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's work. Um, maybe it's golf I, I don't know but but in some form or fashion most girls growing up saying maybe some of y'all you think about your dad and you're like man my dad just wasn't there like he wasn't there and you know and maybe he was even abusive or maybe he wasn't maybe he was just neglectful you know but I think there's a ton of evidence um, to show that men are are just increasingly unhealthy psychologically emotionally physically by the way, I haven't even mentioned that Western male sperm count is, is down 52% over the last 40 years, okay? I'll just throw that little nugget in there for you. Throw that, yeah, I'll write that down. Well, that's, that's uh, just a little, little nugget for your, well, that's a yeah, whole, nother, whole nother discussion. Uh, moving, moving on. Um, you might be surprised I've deleted that from the- uh, You shouldn't have deleted that. You shouldn't have deleted that. It's a perfectly normal statistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sperm. The word sperm would be the word. Uh, fill the blank is sperm. Um, so men are increasingly unhealthy academically. You know, statistically, statistics show that. And, uh, and most of all, I think spiritually. You know, men are in a spiritual decline, I, I believe. Um, and all the consequences are so clear. I feel like they're just right there in our face. That's it right there. It's that story. The consequences are, are there. You don't have to look far in our own community. Like, look in Memphis to see the destruction that results when men fail. 
like it is the, the statistics are staggering and the evidence is clear just look around in inner city memphis there's a problem obviously but there's also a solution there's a way out so y'all ready ready to prepare for this all right listen up psychology today this is really good put it this way men's health month generally passes not with a bang but a whimper the same can be said for attention given to inequalities experienced by boys and men these inequalities are rarely on the public radar despite a massive cost to the affected boys and society as a whole seeing reality is the first step towards changing it raising awareness is a start but concrete measures are necessary to increase the well-being mental health and social inclusion of boys and young men we may be very well in the midst of a boys crisis if so, if so inaction is not an option so I read this, this entire article about how men and boys are in disarray, and I get to the end, the section entitled The Way Out, and then here's the solution. Raising an awareness, and then some ambiguous concrete measures that he doesn't go into, <laughs> for probably for good reason, right? And it's hard for me to not be cynical about this. I'm really struggling with tr trying to not be as cynical. But like, I can raise awareness. I can I can point the finger and I can blame systems. Oh, it's this this system where I can I can blame this group of of of, of people for the downfall of men. I can I can change those systems and I can shame those groups, right? I can protest outside of the Capitol. I can form focus groups. I can write my senator and encourage him to pass legislation that might change things. But none of those things reach deep down in your soul. None of those things stir up our affection none of it none of those things bring peace that can't be understood none of them provide a meaningful sense of purpose and truthfully none of them bring joy and freedom i think they bring bitterness you're shaking your fist it's yeah and none of that brings joy and freedom genesis 1 stirs up affection it brings peace it provides purpose and it gives us an infinite amount of joy and freedom God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Human beings, hold on. Yeah, sorry. Next page, Kyle. You really messed me up with this, man. It's ridiculous. Um, men and women are created to be a reflection of the triune God. So there are a million different ways that we can reflect God's glory. But God has a specific purpose for men, and He has a specific purpose for women. It's similar to the way that Jessica mentioned that the Holy Spirit has a specific purpose. Christ has a specific purpose. The Father has a specific purpose. They are all fully God, though, right? None is less God than the other. We, none of us would say that in this room. We would say that that's heresy if we did say that. So when God made Adam... He created him with this purpose. And this was before the fall. This is what he was supposed to do before sin ever entered the world. To work. All right? That's good. He was supposed to work, and he was supposed to look after the garden. So I've often wondered, why is the Bible so harsh on Adam? Man, they really nail Adam to the wall. I mean, it was Eve who ate first, right? I mean, like, you know, she started it, right? You know? Am I right? Like, I always say, like, what? She was the one who ate from the tree. Why does, why does it not talk about her so much in the New Testament, about how Eve brought sin into the world? I don't believe. I don't believe, and this isn't this isn't explicitly stated in the Bible. But I think it's implicit. It wasn't Eve who sinned first. I don't believe that. 
God commanded Adam to do two things. He commanded him to work and look after the garden. In other words, improve your home and make sure nothing happens to it. And ultimately, Adam doesn't do this. He doesn't. He didn't look after the garden. He didn't speak up or stand in the way when Eve decided to take the fruit that God told them not to eat. He was just there, right? Passively there. Romans 5, 16, 17 says this. Lean close. Yeah, lean close, Jess. The gift of God can't be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Not by the trespass of those two people. It doesn't say that. The great sin that brought death into the world was not Eve's. It was Adam's. He was the head of the garden, and she was his helper. It wasn't her responsibility to watch over the garden. It was Adam's. And in his passivity, he allowed Satan, the devil, the evil one, to come into his home, and ultimately it destroyed him and eventually us along with him, right? It started a cascade of events that lead all the way to Jessica's story or so many, so many other people's story who, who, who are in, in our community and maybe in, even in this room. The reason this is important is because it's the first example in history of what happens when man doesn't operate the way God designed him to. They eat from the tree and chaos and death follow. And this cycle has been repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again, you know, since the beginning. So there may be a negative trend in manhood. So like I think we can definitely say there is a man, man, manhood crisis. There may be a negative trend, uh, trend in manhood, but there's always been a manhood problem. <laughs> like <laughs> this is not new, right? This has been since the very beginning. There's all kinds of problems with men going back all the way to the very beginning. Nothing new about this. Rebellion, chaos, rebellion, chaos, rebellion, chaos. The cycle repeats itself. And God says, Adam, because of your sin, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit, you will toil over the land. Your work won't be fruitful like it was in the garden. It's not going to be the same, Adam. And Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Does that sound pleasant to anyone, to any women? No, but it's the case for a lot of women, right? Does it not sound familiar? Like man's working, he's toiling all day long. He's miserable. I'm sorry, I can't help but use that voice. <laughs> he's miserable, he's tired. He comes home, wife is waiting for him and he rules over her. God said it would happen and it happens. Verbally, he rules over her. Physically, he rules over her. Uh, I heard a statistic, one in three women live in homes where there's physical abuse by the man. One in three, that's nuts. All right? So verbal, verbally, physically, he's a tyrant. And in response, we've got a new movement, right? I don't need a man. I don't need a man. I'm Miss Independent. You know? There's a rift between men and women. And this is the way that it's been ever since Adam until the second Adam, Jesus. So 1 Corinthians 15.45, just. First man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. 
The second Adam, Jesus, showed us what manhood really looks like, not just theoretically, but also in practice. Okay, that part wasn't scripture. Those were my words, actually. So, <laughs> so the second part, I should have, I should have highlighted that for you. Um, it does sound like scripture, though, doesn't it? It does sound a lot like scripture, though, doesn't it? Um, so, so the second Adam. This, sorry. No, it's not. It's not in quotes. Mine is. No, it's not. Anyway, we'll talk about it later. Um, so the second Adam, Jesus, showed us what manhood really looks like. All right? Not just theoretically, but also in practice. He lived it. He lived manhood. So listen to what Paul says about, uh, says about Christ-like manhood in Ephesians 5. He says, he says, and I'll let you read this one too, guys. Okay, I'll read it to save confusion. Um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your, to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of, one, of which he is the Savior, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So what we saw with Adam that, uh, that God called him to was two things. Number one, work for the flourishing of his home. So work so that your home flourishes. And two, watch over your home. So number one, work for the flourishing of his home. And two, to watch over his home. But, but, but Paul says that Christ showed us not just what to do, but how to do it sacrificially. So like we see the mandate that's given to Adam, and then we see Christ doing it. We see him living this out for the church modeling it for the church wives submitting to their husbands as the head and husbands sacrificially laying down their lives for their wives that's what paul says so this is manhood in the home this is headship a man that isn't lazy but works to provide for his family just as best as he can maybe he makes fifteen thousand twenty thousand dollars a year i don't know it's the best he can he's not lazy he's working the best he can to provide for his family a man that is watching over his home. He's ensuring that Satan doesn't have power over his wife and children. He's creating and, and, and cultivating the spiritual climate of his home. He's not relying on his wife to do it. He's not passively sitting by like, oh, she'll take care of that. That's more of the, of the woman's job to disciple the children because it really, really it's a woman's job to kind of raise the children. And I'm going to be over here watching Sports Center while, the, while my wife is, is raising the children because that's her job. And then she can also teach them about who God is. I'll, I'll just leave that on her. You know, that's, that's her responsibility. A godly man is creating and cultivating the spiritual climate of his home. He's not relying on his wife to do it. And he's doing all of this while laying down his life sacrificially. So I'm, I'm, I was, oh man, I'm teaching this. It's convicting. So like this is like, this isn't like a me pointing fingers. This is like, this is the goal. None of this, like even David, David gets close. But even David, even David isn't doing it. Dave, that's faux humility. Stop. It's not, it's not becoming of you. Uh, you rarely see this man, right? If ever, right? The temptation of man is, is to go one way or the other. And I find myself at times going, you know, I'll, I'll do both. The temptation of man is to either be selfishly passive or sinfully aggressive. And you can highlight that or write that down. 
because that's huge. We could talk about that a lot more. I don't wish on time. The temptation of man is to either be selfishly passive or sinfully aggressive. And the truth is, this man that fully reflects Jesus, uh, he just doesn't exist that, that fully reflects him. But we can say this. The degree to which a man reflects Jesus' example of manhood is the degree to which that family will flourish. The, the more you lay your life down for your wife and family the way that Christ laid his life down for his, for his church, the more your family will flourish. And the more families flourish, guess what? Society flourishes. The church flourishes. The world flourishes. Those things are not divorced from one another. So, let's talk about the elephant in the room. It's all been coming up to this moment. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Gut reaction. Is this offensive? Just gut. Jessica says yes. Kyle, don't, that's faux humility. Dude. Don't, don't say that. Wait. I'm kidding. I'm joking with you. No. I mean, if you posted that on Facebook like today, you know, in the heat of the climate, it, people would be like... Mm. Oh, yeah. You get an angry... This is after you've left Facebook. You now you can get angry. Yeah. <laughs> that's, oh, oh, really? I, don't, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I wouldn't know. So what about even in this room? I mean, do you guys, I mean, like some of you women, like do you, does that, does that, is it like when you first hear that, you're like, mm, I don't really, I don't really like the sound of that. I like the second part of the word. <laughs> about men, about men laying, sacrifice, sacrificially laying their lives down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it sounds offensive because it's been misused, you know, mm. so you just kind of imagine this like really overbearing husband that uses that as like should a woman you know like it's you know I, I just don't see it patterned or, or uh, reflected well on the lives of most men you know yes so. were you looking at my notes and I think that's exactly right I think it's offensive for two reasons two reasons what you said men don't reflect Christ right uh, so women don't want to submit to men because historically men in the church have used this as a, like a battering ram or a, like a bully stick. Like I'm going to, I'm going to beat you over the head woman into submission because the Bible says it. The Bible says you better submit to me. Well, th- keep reading, right? <laughs> I keep re- keep, right. Read the whole, the whole Bible, read all of it. Um, so I think, it, I think it's offensive for, for that reason. And then I think the, the, the bigger reason and the, I think maybe the more important um, reason is that we all view being second as being worth less, right? We view being different in the order as being, so if there's a head and I'm a here, we view that as being worth less. We can't help it because that's just the way the world works, right? That's how society operates. What, what we're confusing, and you, you can... Write these down, fill them in the blank. What we're confusing is the ontological, O-N-T-O, logical, and the economical. We're confusing the ontological and the economical. So the ontological has to do with the nature of your being, like who you are, just in your very being, your nature, your value. It's just who you are. Ontologically, you are human. And you are you have a certain value, and the economical has to do with order, 
and with what you do. So think, think about it in terms of, of a dentist and, assist, and an assistant. We have a lot of dentists and wannabe dentists, right? You guys are wannabe dentists right now? You're getting there. Um, aspiring dentists, you're already there. You're basically there, um, if you made it this far. Uh, does the dentist have more value than the assistant as a person, as a human? No, no right? That's, that's absurd. Like nobody would, no, no one would say that, right? Absolutely not. We would say that the dentist and the assistant are ontologically equal because they share the same value. So they share the same value, therefore they are ontologically equal. So I've said ontologically a lot now. Do, or do we understand what the word means? It's a big word. Uh, they're ontologically equal because they share the same value and they share the same nature. They're human. So what we're tempted to do, and this is truthfully what we do, and if you say you don't do this, you are a liar. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and label label you. I'm going to go ahead and label you now. You are a liar. Um, we ascribe meaning to people based on the economical, their order or rank or what they do. So he's a dentist. He's a cardiologist. Everybody thinks David's super important because he's a real doctor, right? He's a real doctor. He's, he makes more money. He gets more recognition. He's got letters before his name or after his name or whatever. He's important. He's in charge. He's a man. And because of all of this, we think he's worth more. We, we do that. You look at the guy on the side of the street and you think that guy's not worth that much. And then you look at the guy who's the doctor in the big, you know, got the these in the tall building downtown, and you're like, man, that guy, he's special, right? You do that. We all do that. But God doesn't. God does not do that. He does not think this way. He doesn't look at people this way. In fact, it's the opposite almost. He 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 looks at I mean, he looks at people way different than we do. In fact, he, he could not care less that you have doctor before your name. He doesn't care about that. So if you think, and I'll, I'll say this, man, if you're in school, the temptation is there to feel special. And I remember, man, it, the temptation is there to feel special. God does not care. He just doesn't. Now, you've worked hard. You've accomplished a lot. God doesn't care. He really doesn't. So you might impress your friends and your neighbors, but God's not fooled, right? What you do has zero to do with how valuable you are. That's really hard for us to wrap our brains around. We even feel, on the flip side, I, I'm, I'm talking about it from one perspective. I'm, I, I don't I even write this in my notes, but we do it on the other side. We, we, we haven't accomplished certain things, or we haven't done certain things, and therefore we, we devalue ourselves. I didn't even talk about that. So on the flip side, like what you do does not, does not impact your value whatsoever. This is why God cares for the widow and the orphan. This is why he cares for the unborn child. A child inside its mother's womb never done anything. It, it, can't, it doesn't offer anything to the world, yet God cares. The development, de development, developmentally delayed, you know, that kid with, with Down syndrome in your church, God cares the poor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, people who are, who are considered valueless by society, God says, I don't care what you do or what you bring to the table. You are valued. And for this same reason, it's why two people, a husband and a wife, can be economically different. So they're different in what they do. They're different in role, yet ontologically the same. We cannot confuse the, the ontological with the economical. 
a husband and wife may have different roles and they do different thing, uh, different things, yet they have the same value. The man can be the head, yet worth no less or no more than a woman. And if everything I just said isn't the case, are you guys sitting down? Everybody sitting down for this, right? If everything that I just said isn't the case, Christ's blood has no value, all right? You're like, well, why is that? Why does Christ's blood have no value if everything you just said isn't the case? If one, if a person can't be economically lower yet ontologically the same, then Christ is not God and his blood cannot cleanse us, right? If Christ can't be economically the second person of the Trinity and yet still be God, so still be ontologically God, then we're still dead in our sins. Does that make sense? Like you're still dead. If, if, if the Father being the head of the Son, if, if God, or if Christ being the second person in the Trinity, if somehow that's demeaning to him, it also demeans his blood. And if it demeans his blood, his blood has no power over your sin. Does that make sense? The Father being the head of the Son isn't demeaning to the Son. Jesus isn't like, oh, you're the head of me? Oh, I don't like that. You know, it, it is, it's good. It's pure. It's loving. It's not competitive. It's not self-seeking. There's nothing bad about this. Paul says this, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man. Or, I'm sorry, not every woman. The head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. So I believe that if I can live this out in my home, my wife and kids will flourish. I really do believe that. It's not a dictatorship. It's not oppressive. It's not toxic masculinity. It's not demeaning. It's not devaluing. It's working hard to provide for your family the best you can. Does that mean you're the breadwinner? No, not necessarily. But if, you're, if your wife is the breadwinner, that doesn't mean you can go play golf all day long. Oh, my wife's it, yeah, man. I'm, I'm going to hit the links, man. I'm, I'm good. You know, you find some other way to work hard to provide for your family. Like, be a hard worker. That was given, that was a mandate given in the garden before the fall. So even if your wife is just totally rolling in, in cash, like, that's good, that's okay. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't excuse you from work. Like, you gotta go, you know, and, and, and maybe your work is in the ministry, or maybe it's, maybe it, maybe it doesn't involve making money at all. Maybe, but like, but you're out investing in people's lives. You're doing something. You're, you're getting up in the morning. You're not sleeping until 9.30 every day, you know? And so it, 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 there's nothing demeaning about that. Um, it's working hard, providing for the fam your family the best you can. It's watching over your home and protecting the hearts of your wife and kids. So you stand in the gap. When Satan tries to enter, you're like, no, no. I will not let you destroy my wife and kids. And you stand there. It's what Adam should have done when, it, when Satan entered into his home. He should have said, no, no, Satan. And he should have grabbed you and said, no, like we're getting out of here. But instead he's just passively sitting by, just watching. And, and most of all, it's laying your life down, right? Like, and that's, that's hard because I, you know, I want what I want. I want to do what I want to do. I want to I I come home after a hard day of work and you know, sit on the couch, I'm tired. You know, I'm worn out, I worked hard, you know. You know, something we talked about <clears throat> earlier today was not all of you have kids or are married. I don't know. Um, but everyone's like, oh, just wait till you have kids. But 
truly, like, once you have kids, that whole thing you mm. just described escalates mm -hmm. so much. Um, when we were both working full-time and putting in the same amount of hours and we could keep it even, there wasn't all this um, resentment, you know what I'm saying? But then once you add kids in, and it's like, he's working hard all day, he comes home ready because he's tired, and I'm like, thank you for a break, you know? <laughs> and so all of that... Um, will have more meaning as you get deeper into family. But um, <coughs> anyway, that just gets a lot harder, I feel like, once you have joint responsibilities. Yeah. I, I think it's not just kids. It's just the more responsibility in general you have. Mm -hmm. Like, the less you want to break. <laughs> you know? I'm tired. I want to break. So can you do this for me? Or why are you expecting me to do it when you can do it? Right? And it's tough. Like, that's a struggle. Like, we fight about that, right? Like, and, and I'm wrong sometimes. Jess is wrong sometimes, too. But probably more me, right? More me. That's, that's, that was funny humility, baby. Uh, but, like, it's hard. It is hard to lay your life down for your wife. It's hard to do because you, you're entitled. You feel like, man, I've done this or that. That You make up all these excuses for why you shouldn't, why you, you're entitled to do whatever you want to do. Um, so all of these things are, I think, I think it's a, a perceived paradox. Like, like if you're the head, then you, then you actually like become low and you lay yourself down. I, I, that's a perceived paradox, but I don't believe that it's a real paradox. I think most people say that's a paradox. Well, no, it's not a paradox. It just, you, you perceive it to be that way because it's, it's so lofty and so amazing that you just can't even fathom it. And we just don't see it modeled, right? It's not a paradox. It's a perceived paradox. And we only perceive it this way because it's so foreign to us. Most men don't live this way. They don't. So we're like, no, we reject those teachings in the Bible. We reject them. And we reject them because we've never seen, we don't see the model that often. I see the, I can't say it now, but like my dad, hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think we think we see it. And then you find out that it, that it was not real. That's right. Which is just as damaging. So, like, I would say, like, after teaching a lesson like this, I wouldn't, like, you, what you would see is me not living this out in my home to the degree that I would like to. But, again, the degree to which I do live it out will be the degree to which my family flourishes. Mm -hmm. That's the key. Like, you're not going to do, you're not going to perfectly lay down your life for your wife. Your wife's not going to be perfectly submissive. <laughs> it's not going to happen. We're, we're, we're humans and we're, we're constantly like checking each other. Are you sure you're not taking advantage of me? Because if you are, like, I'm going to take advantage of you first, you know, or I'm gonna, not going to let you do it, you know, and it's like, it's this constant thing because we know we're sinful. But like, if we lived this out, it would be beautiful and the society wouldn't question it. They'd be like, whoa, like, I don't understand. I don't really understand that or agree with it, but like, man, it's like, they're like flourishing. They're like, they love each other. There's so much love and freedom. Look at, look at that husband. He's like, changing a diaper and like he's he's doing he's helping he's working hard he's providing like it's a it's a good thing kids are flourishing families are flourishing so it's a perceived paradox but it's not a real paradox when men and women live this way families will flourish we don't we don't have time to get into men and women in the church and maybe we will next week that's a whole not, like there's not enough time to get to all this but the same thing can be said i think in the church and, and and these same things are played out in the church. Uh, maybe maybe next week again we can discuss it some. But even if you're single, you got some of you guys are single. 
like model this behavior of self self sacrifice now. Like you don't have a, a maybe necessarily a wife to do this for, but like if you start laying that foundation now, it like it will be a lot easier when you're married. Trust me. Like I certain things that Jessica and I did while we were dating, and you're thinking, well, once we're married, it's okay. it'll be okay. It'll be, it won't be a sin when we're married, you know, or it'll it'll be fine. It's like well, it's like whoa, shockingly, we carried some of that into our relation, our married relationship. It's so weird that that selfishness continued on into our relationship. And so I would say just model that behavior now, even in singleness. Um, don't pressure women into giving you what you want. You know, if you go on a date with a girl, don't pressure her into giving you what you want sexually. Um, you know, model this behavior now. Be the kind of man you want to be when you're a husband now. Don't wait. Um, when, when men flourish in this way, humanity flourishes. No amount of increased awareness or social programs or legislation can truly change men. And it's not until we become like the second Adam that the world around us will truly begin to change. Okay, so thank you to Grant and to Jessica for sharing all that with us. It was excellent. We had some good discussion following that. And we'll continue this discussion next week at our last uh, night of all this. Um, we're going to be talking about biblical womanhood. We'll wrap up these ideas, and we're going to have a celebration party the week following. Uh, if you're in Memphis, if you're a medical dental student, or really just a healthcare student in general, and you want to come, send me a message, Kyle Fagala, on Facebook. Uh, or just show up. That's okay. We'd love to have you there. Um, not exactly sure we're going to be next week, but we'll be posting it on the MDDDS Facebook page. We'll create an event there, and we just hope that you're able to make it. So hope uh, this has been a great week for you so far, and I hope it's a great week to come, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.